Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team and welcome to inside the yard on 1057 the fan and our orioles.com slash podcast thank you so much for being with us with another spring training edition of inside the yard i'm brett hollander alongside fellow orioles broadcaster jeff arnold and jeff we have a huge show today coming up we'll talk to massinsports.com rakubako also orioles hitting coach don long and orioles outfielder cedric mullins who's been so impressive so far this spring I think Mullins has probably hit the ball just as well as anybody on this Orioles team. And it's been impressive that he's been able to do it while hitting exclusively left-handed, which is an adjustment that we've talked about this on air. I mean, you mentioned Matt Wieters. I think I talked to Brian Roberts about it. It's a very difficult adjustment to make. Mullins has been able to do a really good job. And Don Long actually has a really good story about how Mullins stepped in, you know, initially against Tanner Scott. And I think that was kind of an indicator that this whole left on left thing could work. And so it's been good to see him have success and to do it from just one side of the plate. And before we talk a lot of hitting throughout this show today with Don Long and Cedric Mullins, I want to talk some pitching right now. We'll talk about this also with Rock coming up. But Bruce Zimmerman, to me, is one of the best stories in camp. Obviously, he debuted last year, made two appearances. The local kid, we have to mention that. Also, five innings so far in Grapefruit, Grapefruit League play. Just one hit, no earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. I think a lot of us see him as, an, as a bullpen candidate. But at some point, he might be a rotation candidate. Because to me, stuff-wise, what we've seen from him, he has a lot of pitches, Jeff. He can land them all, and, and he has velocity to, go, to back it up, and he's the right age. He is the right age. He has the right velocity. And I said this the other day. I think he's on the team right now. I mean, last year he was a, an outside looking in type of candidate. This year, I, I fully think he's he's in the mix. And I feel like he's thrown the best of anybody on the, the pitching side. And it goes to how he's been attacking the zone. And that's something that we haven't always seen a lot of at the start of spring training. He's been going after hitters, and we saw that in the game that he just pitched against the Minnesota Twins, where one through seven are guys that are going to be in their opening day lineup. So uh, there's a lot to like. Um, his mentality has been a big part of it, and the stuff which you pointed to, it, it, we, we heard about where he was when he was in the minor leagues and how it kind of resembled maybe where John Means was, but now he's 93, 94 miles an hour with a really good breaking ball. There's a lot to like. Yeah, I think the stuff plays. Coming up, We'll talk to Rock Kubako and then Orioles hitting coach Don Long and then Orioles outfielder Cedric Mullins. It's all coming up on this edition of Inside the Yard on 105.7 The Fan. The all-new 2021 five-game flex plan is available now. Select the games that fit your schedule before the general public, including access to popular promo dates like Jim Palmer Bobblehead Day and Birdland Hawaiian Shirt Day. Plans start at just 99 bucks. 
Visit Orioles.com slash flex to purchase your plan. That's Jeff Arnold. I'm Brett Hollander. And joining us right now, our colleague at MassInSports.com, Rock Kubako. And Rock, thank you so much for joining us. I want to jump into something you've written about a lot over the last few days. And I think it's the most intriguing thing so far in spring camp. And that is the performances we've seen from uh, Bruce Zimmerman, obviously a local guy with a great story attached. He's been, I think, the best pitcher so far. We all have talked about the benefit of a guy like Zimmerman in the bullpen, giving you length, backing up right-handed starters. But at some point, is he a serious candidate for this rotation? I think he could make it. Uh, I'm thinking right now more likely, and by the way, you can't refer to Bruce Zimmerman unless you do say Ellicott City resident, Loyal Blake, <laughs> Blake graduate, <laughs> Baltimore native, like whatever. It's, it's, it's a lot, but you have to do it. It is the law now. Uh, I think he, I think he has a decent shot of heading North as a bullpen guy. You know, uh, Brandon keeps talking about bulk relievers and you're going to need multiple guys like that. That could go two, three, four innings. If you need to kind of ease along these starters, because there's a big innings pileup coming from 60 to 162 games. I could see him as somebody that you use in that long relief role. And, you know, if he's able to come in and after a short start, even if you're limiting your starters early on, he can come in and give you those multiple innings. That's huge. And then maybe he transitions to the rotation later, maybe just does that for the season. I mean, everything's kind of open depending on, you know, who they bring North, how these guys are pitching, who's traded at the deadline. But, you know, you can make arguments of, Hey, he's better off every fifth day in Norfolk's rotation. If he seems a starter, then work him as a starter. Don't put him in the bullpen, whatever. But then I go back cause I'm an old man to the, the Oriole way of those guys that, that were relievers and then transitioned to uh, the starting roles. And, and I think he can get his education and continue his development and help the team most importantly too, by serving that kind of role in, in the bullpen. And then again, maybe start later, but right now, I think at least on paper on this date, they have other starter options with the veterans in camp that maybe he doesn't make it right away, but I think at some point he's going to end up starting for this club in 2021. One of those veteran options is Felix Hernandez. Um, he was throwing 84, 85 mile an hour fastballs in his first outing against the Tigers. Um, can he get American League East hitters out with 84, 85? Well, I, I remember you know, tracking the game and people were like, boy, I hope that's the changeup. <laughs> it's like, no, that was actually fastballs. I think he said he didn't even throw a changeup. Uh, I think there are some nights he probably could do that. I don't know if you want to try that every fifth day. Uh, he did claim that his velocity will go up more as camp continues. He's building up his arm. The Orioles seem to feel the same, but then they also bring up what a crafty guy he is and what a knowledgeable pitcher and how he can find ways. So it's kind of like, hey, just in case it doesn't, we still think he can get guys out. And I know they're saying that with fingers crossed because they'd really like for him to be able to provide innings for them and leadership on the staff and then become a trade chip like Tommy Malone was and like Wade LeBlanc wasn't. Uh, they want him healthy and productive and teams to look at him as a guy in the second half that can help them and you get something back for him. And it's only costing you a million if he makes the club. So I think some of that is they're hoping and some of it is they really do believe that, you know, the velocity will increase, but that in the meantime, he does know how to pitch and it's not just about blowing a ball by guys. We could compile a long list of veteran pitchers who lost velocity, but still figured out how to win, you know, the, Frank Tanan always jumps to mind for me because again, I'm kind of old, but there are plenty of guys like that. So I, I think he could be able to, to on certain nights be able to get by, but 
probably went a little bit more than 84, 85 on that fastball. Rockabaco, MassInSports.com with us here on Inside the Yard, Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold. And before we get to the glut of outfielders, Rock, you have quietly placed in the blog over the last few days the struggles of Rio Ruiz, I've noticed. And no one assumed that was a competition at third base until maybe you started putting in our minds a little bit. Oh, sure. Uh, Blame me. Blame me for that. (laughs) Rio's struggling. He's struggling. And he had up and down year last year. Uh, Is he in trouble, perhaps, at third base? I think it's a little shaky right now. One for 12, and I always got an illness, and he hasn't played in a few days. And I was like, well, I wonder if uh, this has anything to do with, you know, him struggling. And all of a sudden, there's reports that they might have some interest in another third baseman. Right now, the way the rush is constructed, I don't know if there's a better option. I don't think Ryland Bannon is ready to just be, hey, let's make him the everyday third baseman. They're not going to do that. Uh, I don't think they're moving Tyler Nevin across the infield. They're not going to put Ryan Mountcastle back at third. Pat Vileka could play third for them, but I think if he makes the club, they want him in a super utility role. Uh, Ramon Urias, I mean, I think he's more valuable in the utilities. I kind of feel like you know, it's, it's Rio's job still, but it would help if he would heat up. And I think also you're going to make sure he doesn't have the defensive slump that he went through uh, oddly last year. All of a sudden he became, you know, he was having trouble making throws, whatever. So uh, I think as long as he's dependable in the field, you kind of put up with what you get at the bat. And, you know, also we've talked, you know, wins and losses aren't supposed to matter. So if Rio Ruiz is struggling some at third, how important is it to, to find an upgrade? to win a couple more games. I mean, does that matter anyway? So uh, long answer to the question. I, I think he is vulnerable, but right now I don't see a better alternative. And I don't think Chris Davis is moving to third base. I know Brandon was asked about that in a Zoom call, I believe, and said, uh, we haven't really discussed that at this point. Yeah, that's because Chris Davis is not playing third base. That's my breaking news. <laughs> Jeff Arnold, Britt Hollander, and the uh... – Always youthful, Rock Kabako. I hope I look as good as you in 10 years, Rock. Um, speaking of Chris Davis, um, he was announced as being day-to-day. He has that that back issue that he's you know still working through, and he apparently was seeing somebody about it. Um, is he going to be on the opening day roster, do you think, or how do you handicap that one? You know, honestly, I think there's a better chance he's going to be on the injured list. I think there's a chance he's on the 60 day injured list, which removes him from the 40 man roster because you may need a few of those vacant spots uh, at this point. Cause it doesn't look like he's close to getting back to the lineup. I mean, he saw a back specialist. He's only played once. And I don't think the Orioles are necessarily in rush mode to get him in the lineup. So I think this is kind of convenient for them. Let's be honest instead of just having him sitting on the bench anyway in 26-man roster, you start him out on the injured list and say, hey, it's the back, and he hasn't had nearly enough at-bats. Uh, and then you can go ahead and, and carry somebody else. And again, it frees up 40 space. Uh, I'm assuming the two Rule 5 pitchers get returned, if that's the case, and you put Chris on the 60, that's three open spots now on the 40 for guys like whether it's Felix Hernandez, Matt Harvey, if it's LeBlanc, if it's Fernando Abad, if it's Thomas Eshelman, whomever. Uh, so I, I think he ends up on a 60 day IL, which, I mean, it's a legit injury. I mean, when he went to see a specialist, they're not making all this up. I mean, it, there was no reason to there. He did, you know, it's, it was early in camp and they had plenty of games and, and whatever. So uh, I don't, this isn't the Obaldo pothole as we will forever know it as I think there should be a statue of it. Camden yards, the pothole. This was a legit, he's got a back issue and uh, 
So I think he ends up on the IL. Let's talk about the outfield competition, Rock. And before DJ Stewart got hurt, uh, he, both he, Yusniel Diaz, who is heading to AAA more than likely, Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins, probably the three best hitters so far in Grapefruit League play. How do you see the shaking out? Is there an odd man out? We know Mountcastle will likely be mostly the everyday left fielder. We, we assume that. Uh, how do you see this heading down to the wire in a few weeks? Yeah, I mean, there's room for everybody. You know, I really think so with with the DH spot open now uh, and first base where you can, you know, you've got Mancini, you can work in Mountcastle there. Uh, I think they make that work and Diaz and McKenna end up in Triple A and eventually make their debuts. And, you know, Santander, we've got the trade watch. I, I think he's going to be with the team on opening day and that we'll see what happens. We get closer to the deadline if they get an offer they really like. If not, they'll keep them. But he's he's a trade ship. But I uh, it's just interesting to see how deep the outfield position has come now when obviously was not the case the many years I've been covering this team. Another reference to my age. They had, you know, they, it was like you looked in the minors. I mean, they were touting guys who just because they needed somebody to, to Rock, I chuckled up. today when I read your list of outfield prospects, <laughs> as I put it in quotations, from the past. That was one Heck of a list you came up with today. It was quite a roll call. And no offense to these guys. Matt no Angle, offense. I think he got, you know, he got a cup of coffee and there were some others. But hey, then... I saw Val Majeski's debut and he got a base yes, hit. That's did. what I take away. Bowie and I Le- saw Val in the Bowie minor legend. leagues, actually. It came wow. up on a NASA broadcast last year. That's right. Bowie legend. Uh, so, uh, you know, it just, and now all of a sudden it's a really deep position. And we're, you know, again, Kirstad, we're waiting for him to actually be cleared for workouts, but eventually he's supposed to be the right field. And then we can talk about what do they do with you with Diaz, if this guy's the right fielder and it's a pleasant problem to have. And, uh, I think it's interesting too, that they're going to find ways to get Mullins and Hayes in the lineup at the same time, instead of the platoon and center and one guy's on the bench when the other one's out there, I think you're going to see quite a bit of of Hayes and left and Mullins in center. And they're going to make that work real quickly. Rock uh, Diaz timeline reaching uh, Camden yards. He, he will get here over the summer as long as he's healthy and not hitting, you know, one fifteen. Uh, but it may be one of those Mount castle situations where people are going to say, why so long, why so long we're going to wait. And then all of a sudden he'll be sprung on us, but uh, he will start out well at the alternate site training at Bowie and then obviously AAA, and uh, at some point we're going to see them, and then we can again figure out how they make room. Rock Kubako, MassInSports.com, the official biographer of Jeff Yorantino, Matt Engel, and Kyle Hudson. <laughs> Rock, we really appreciate it. <laughs> Anytime, guys. Thanks. That's Masson's Rock Kubako. We'll come back, and we'll talk to Orioles hitting coach Don Long here at Inside the Yard on 105.7 The Fam. The Junior Orioles Dugout Club is now Kids Cheer Free Plus, the all-new Orioles Kids Club for fans 14 and under for just $30. Each club membership receives free access to all Orioles home games, exclusive swag, a ticket voucher for four free lower-level tickets and more. Purchase your membership now at orioles.com slash kidsfreeplus. That's Jeff Arnold. I'm Brett Hollander. This is Inside the Yard on 105.7 The Fan. Also, You can download us wherever you download your podcasts and catch up on old episodes at orioles.com slash podcast. And joining us right now, Orioles hitting coach Don Long. Don, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Let's start with uh, the collective group right now uh, and what you see from them offensively. Do you like what you see? Where are the Orioles right now hitting-wise? Well, you know, hitting is the kind of thing. It's always kind of a work in progress. But, um, you know, based on... 
the guys that are here that we've had the last couple of years and knowing what they're capable of, I feel good about that. And, uh, you know, I'm really acclimating myself to a lot of the younger guys and kind of getting to learn who they are and what they do well and maybe what some of their challenges are and trying to help them develop along the way as well. John, one philosophy that you talked about last year, and I think it was one, one phrase you had for your headers, I think it's good for fans to kind of hear, is um, ready to hit but not in a hurry. Can you kind of go through what that means and, and how you use it for, for players that, are, uh, that you're working with? Yeah, I think, you know, when they, they train, they practice, um, we try and challenge them in practice, but there's really a disconnect many times between practice and the game just because it's hard to recreate game speed and all the variables, you know, in terms of pitch type and all that. And so we, we have a philosophy where we want guys to be ready to hit from the first pitch of the bat on, but we don't want them to be in a hurry just to swing at the first thing they throw up there. That, that mentality is more of having an aggressive approach. Uh, and, you know, that creates a lot of big swings and pitches really that aren't meant to be hit hard. So we want to understand our strengths uh, in a regular bat, we want to understand our strengths in a situational type of bat and, and where we need the pitch in the zone to be able to execute, put the ball and play hard and have the bat be over. Um, so we're always available for that. We're always ready before the ball's overthrown, expecting it and anticipating it to be in the area where we want it until our eyes say no. And that's the, the always ready, but not in a hurry part. And I, I think it's really important and all, all good hitters that I've ever been around and and, uh, you know, been on teams that we've competed against have, have had that quality. Orioles hitting coach Don Long with us here on Inside the Yard. And it's such a fine line. And that's why I believe hitting is the hardest thing to do in sports. I've heard this spring alone uh, that Ryan Mountcastle should be more aggressive in his at-bats. And, of course, Anthony Santander, who's become a walk machine in Grapefruit League play, he needs to be slightly less aggressive in his at-bats, perhaps, and in his approach and not – you know, maybe swing at one or two out of the zone that get him out sometimes. It's such a fine line to compute all this in real time against 95 to 97. I mean, how do they do it? Well, so like speaking to Ryan, you know, he came up last year and did a very good job and had improved, uh, you know, his pitch selection numbers. Um, but he may never be you know, a Mike Trout who chases less than 20% of the time or a Joey Votto type hitter, but if he can be a little bit better and without losing his ability to be aggressive in the zone, that's really what we're after with him. As far as Anthony goes, you know, Anthony's production has been good. You know, when he's been able to be on the field, he's been a solid performer, but he's very aware that he can create even more opportunities for success by being a little more selective. And you know, when you look at Anthony, he's not up there trying to walk. He's up there ready to hit, but he's determined to attack pitches and be ready to attack pitches that he can put and play hard. And if it doesn't show him, you know, if that's not available to him, then he will take the walk. And to me, that's the evolution of a hitter. You know, many years ago, when I had Joey Votto in Cincinnati, he said, you know, everybody thinks I want to walk. He says, I don't want to walk, but I'm willing to take a walk. Everybody thinks I like to hit with two strikes. He says, I don't want to hit with two strikes, but I'm willing to if I don't get my pitch to hit. He says, my ultimate goal is to know where I want the ball. And the first pitch is thrown into that area. I put a good swing on it. I put the ball in play hard and the bat's over. 
And I think in Anthony's evolution and Ryan's also to a point, it's the willingness to, to be ready every pitch and attack. But if it's not, it's not in that area, we're willing to say no to it. And I think that's a maturity of a hitter as they played at this level and gain experience at this level. And I think both of them, you know, have the ability to grow in that area. And when they do, I think, you know, kind of the sky's the limit for both of them. Now, while we're on the topic of young uh, outfielders, let's also talk about Cedric Mullins, who uh, is not switch hitting anymore. He's now exclusively a left-handed hitter. As you have seen him go up against some left-handed pitching as a left-handed hitter, and even just against right-handed pitching, what are some things that have stood out as he's stuck to exclusively one side of the plate? Yeah, you know, I've been really impressed with his improvement that he made last year, uh, particularly from the left side. And now that he's exclusively hitting from the left side, there was a like a simulated game we had on one of the backfields one day, and he stepped in against uh, Tanner Scott. And that's no easy task, you know. And, and what really impressed me about him, I think he worked a walk, but what impressed me about him in that at-bat and his other at-bats in games versus lefties was his willingness just to kind of hold his ground and stay in there. He didn't flinch. He didn't give. You know, he just he just stuck his nose in there and had his at-bat. And I think his confidence level, he's made like fundamental improvements, but I think his confidence level from that side of the plate is obviously much greater than it was when he was hitting from the right side of the plate. So that factor plays into it too. And I think there's a belief in his mind that I can do this. And, and, you know, everything he's showing us physically is matching what I believe he believes to be true about himself mentally. I can do this just being from the left side, being left on left, and I can make this work. And I think it's showing up very well. Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold joined by Orioles hitting coach Don Long here on Inside the Yard. And Don, while we're on the subject of outfielders, using Yael Diaz, we all see this incredible uh, pop, that raw power and really explosiveness at the plate and in the field for that matter and running the bases. Uh, what do you see from Yael and what is the potential as you see it? Well, he's a, he's a very talented kid who you know, was hamstrung like a lot of guys were last year by not having games to play. And I see him really being able to progress into a good big league player, given the opportunity to play. And I think that's really what this year is all about for him. You know, he's getting some at-bats. He's getting some starts. I think he's starting today. But for a young, a young hitter in terms of experience here, I think it's really important that he gets consistent playing time somewhere and develops his abilities, you know, on an everyday basis. And I, and I think he's going to really improve given the opportunity to, to play a lot. Pedro Severino um, started off last year good, went to August, was great, went to September and really struggled. Do you feel like he has, based on some of the at-bats he's taken in spring and some of the other work that you've seen, is he back to the form of that, you know, good to great uh, offensive catcher? Well, I'm not a big prognosticator, you know, but I, I will say this. I think for any hitter, and, and Seve included in this, I think capturing your the ability to be confident regardless is super important. And confidence can ebb and flow, but it can't just be tied directly to 
the outcome in the game. There, you have to find ways to be confident regardless. And so what we talk about with our guys is finding a confidence just by simply knowing you're capable in any situation. So for him, what that would include is I had this great August. I'm into September. It's not going that well. Can I remain, you know, can I have a high level of confidence, even though the end result of my performance is saying I shouldn't be confident. And I think that's something that we're working on with him to keep him more even keeled uh, in moments where he has a period of games or stretch of at bats where things aren't going well to keep believing and, and understand that, you know, confidence isn't tied to the end result. It's tied to what you choose to focus on and what you choose to believe. Tom, what do you see from Trey Mancini so far coming back from a year of, of not playing, going pretty much through hell to get back to playing? Uh, where do you see Trey right now? Well, I, I think Trey's in a really good spot. You know, physically, we're so um, we're so very thankful that, um, you know, after what he went through, um, just for him as a person and for us selfishly as a club beyond his ability to perform at a high level. It's who he is as a person and what he brings. He's kind of a glue, you know, he's got a, a personality where he's like, everybody connects with him, regardless of where they're from or how much experience they have. That's just kind of who he is. So he's a very important person uh, on our team. And in terms of, you know, working his way back into at bats, uh, the first time he faced live pitching was against our pitchers uh, in the stadium. And the first pitch he saw, he swung at. So he was up there ready to hit, which we like. And, uh, you know, his at-bats are increasingly uh, getting better. And he's able to kind of find his groove a little bit, kind of slow the game down. And uh, I, I think, you know, for missing a year, I think he's in a really good spot. Everybody remembers uh, last year the year that Jose Iglesias had uh, Freddie Galvis taking over at shortstop. Um, what can you tell us about what you've seen out of Galvis so far? So I've, I've had the, the luxury of knowing Freddie since he was 17 when I was roving with the Phillies and he was playing in Williamsport, the New York Penn league at 17 years old. And, and uh, you know, playing against a lot of college age guys who had a lot more experience than him. And I just remember thinking back to that time, how steady, of a guy he is, you know, in, in the field, and he's really improved at the plate. Um, but he, his persona is really, is, it's kind of a, it's a competitive uh, mindset, but it's kind of a, he doesn't get, he doesn't get too out of whack, you know, he's really steady. And I think that's good on, on a club like ours that does have a lot of younger uh, players or less experienced players. And I've seen, you know, I've seen him over the years competing against him with other clubs, um, but I've seen growth in him as a hitter. And what I really like about him that I like then is his willingness to work and try to understand how he can become better. You know, he's always trying to improve, and that's a great quality to have, especially for an experienced player. Orioles hitting coach Don Long with us here on Inside the Yard. Don, I have to ask you about Adley Rutschman. It's required of all of us to always ask about <laughs> Adley Rutschman. Uh, limited ABs. You saw him a little last spring. You've seen him a little more this spring. What's your takeaway? Well, the, the easy thing, especially from a you know fan's perspective, is to try and get this guy here. And I remember when I was in Pittsburgh, there was a lot of the same talk uh, around Pedro Alvarez at the time. You know, he was a 
I think the number two pick in the draft and and a college guy like Adley is and everybody wanted him there. And I remember the challenges that he faced when we called him up from AAA. And he's a super talented kid, super hardworking, very conscientious, he has all the right attributes that you want in a person and a player. And I think the easy thing is to is to say, let's get him here. But he's very not very experienced at the professional level. So I feel good organizationally that we'll start him in a spot that will challenge him, but, you know, be appropriate for him and then just allow him to play and, and kind of go from there. But certainly we, we have, you know, good feelings about him. All right, Don, it's time now for our fun five baseball questions. Are you ready? Well, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> What's your favorite baseball movie? Sandlot. One of our favorites here on inside the yard. All right, this is a tough one, Don, but we've asked this to Brandon Hyde and, and others. What was your high school senior year batting average? 314. That's speaking like a true hitting coach. Every, everybody else was like hitting four, 500. I scratched out, just, just got over uh, 314 with one <laughs> home run in my high school career. <laughs> uh, most influential baseball person in your life? Um. You know, I've had, a, I've had a lot of great mentors over the years. Um, I would say first and foremost was probably my dad, just for the willingness to take the time to, to just, just play catch. To When I was an erratic right-handed high school pitcher, he'd squat down and catch me and, and just the willingness to do that. In terms of professionally, I would probably say Joe Madden when I first started out back in the 80s with the Angels had a big influence. John McNamara, the former manager, Preston Gomez, another former manager, a guy named Bob Clear, um, Lee Elia, who's a longtime baseball guy when I was with the Phillies and I was with them with the Braves for a while. And the thing I loved about those guys was they allowed you as a young coach to go work hard, go try and help guys get better, make a bunch of mistakes and never tell you were wrong, but make suggestions. And it was a, it was just a, a beautiful way to kind of be um, led into the game. And, and hopefully I've been able to add value to other people along the way uh, as I learned from those, those great mentors that I had. Favorite minor league city to play or visit? I would have to say Vancouver. I managed in Vancouver for three years in the Pacific Coast League. Our oldest son was actually born there. And we happened to be out of town in Salt Lake City the night my wife went into labor, which was also game six of the Stanley Cup that Vancouver was in. And they won in New York and the people went crazy. They started like looting and breaking windows. And my wife picked that time to go into labor and had to have one of the players' wives drive her to the hospital. I flew back. Uh, got there as soon as I could. And I, I missed his birth, unfortunately, by about 20 minutes. But uh, mom and, and our son, Stuart, were, were all well. So we have very fond memories of, of Vancouver. These are great answers. Final one, Don Long. Name one talent you have outside of baseball. One talent I have? Yes. Oh, geez. You know, I, I, I don't know if it's a talent, but I think being a loving husband and a father is probably my best attribute outside of baseball. I don't have a lot of hobbies. I'm not a hunter. I'm not a fisherman, 
I'm not a golfer, but I do love to be with my wife and, and our three boys. That is a great answer. Don Long, we appreciate it so much. Uh, really wonderful today. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Orioles hitting coach Don Long. When we come back, someone he talked about, Orioles outfielder Cedric Mullins, as we continue on Inside the Yard on 105.7 The Fan. The 2021 Spring Training Magazine is now available online. Read about Trey Mancini's road to recovery from stage three colon cancer. Get to know Austin Hayes and John Means in exclusive Q&As and much more. View the magazine online now at orioles.com slash spring magazine. That's Jeff Arnold. I'm Brett Hollander here on Inside the Yard on 105.7 The Fan. You can also download us at orioles.com slash podcast. I've returned home to Baltimore, Jeff. Well, he's holding the flag down in Sarasota, Florida, along with the rest of the Baltimore Orioles as spring training continues, including outfielder Cedric Mullins, who's off to a terrific start this spring. Cedric, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for having me, guys. Well, let's talk about the hot start. And obviously the big headline for you this spring is now becoming an exclusive left-handed hitter. Tell us about that decision and, and how you feel you're adapting to it. Uh, so the story of me switch hitting, I didn't start hitting any games, switch hitting until senior year of high school. So relatively late for someone trying to pick it up uh, to use throughout their career. Uh, it had its moments where it would seem to develop uh, at certain points and then it kind of plateau and then it would kind of show show signs of improvement again. It sort of plateau, but at the big league level, it just didn't improve quick enough to continue to be competitive. However, my left hand is swaying uh, did and has always been my stronger side. So that being said, I felt like going left on left, uh, taking advantage of uh, my butt game, uh, putting the ball in play, using the opposite part of the field, beating the shift, going left on left felt like the smart decision. How tough of a decision was it for you to just go exclusively left-handed? It was tough because I know I put plenty 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 of time into trying to perfect my right-handed swing trying to re recreate my left side uh on the right side of the plate uh but in terms of the numbers they're right in front of me i can obviously tell how my performance is on the field with my right-handed swing compared to my left and that's kind of what um, was the foundation of that decision now it had been many years since you faced a left-handed pitcher hitting left-handed although maybe you didn't switch it like here's some people talk about it. I don't know, middle school, early high school, but seeing, and we, we saw you hammer a ball against Jordan Montgomery. That's a big league pitcher. Who's very tall coming at that side. How hard has that been for you? If at all. Uh, it, it has had its challenges. Uh, just trying to create the comfortable environment, the plate to facing, uh, like you said, a guy who's got some size on him coming from uh, angle that I haven't seen in years. Uh, so it, it was challenging, but I've put in a lot of work, a lot of cage work, creating angles like, just like that, simulating pitches, uh, coming from different arm slots from the left side, just trying to make sure that I stay in there and I was able to put some good swings together that day. We're with Cedric Mullins, Jeff Arnold, Brett Hollander on Inside the Yard on 1057 The Fanning and also listen on Orioles.com slash podcast. Cedric, is, it, is the toughest pitch maybe to see now that you're exclusively left on left? Is it the breaking ball? Is that the toughest pitch that you're, you're going to be seeing out of a lefty? I say it is. Um, I haven't seen too many left on left changeups, uh, but I do feel like the curveball, seeing it out the hand early to catch the break would be the toughest pitch for me to hit. Uh, I have been seeing the fastball relatively well 
out the hand, uh, just following the arm slide. Um, my eyes are shifting well to the ball. I'm reacting well to the fastball, but staying with the breaking ball, making sure I'm not bailing out uh, on a pitch that's going to come back over the plate, making sure I'm staying in there. Uh, it's probably going to be the toughest thing. Cedric, I want to ask you about your bunt game, and you mentioned it, and I love watching it. You were able to get on base last year, move runners along, even when the opposing team knew it was coming, which is the ultimate compliment to you. Even for young kids out there listening, take us behind the scenes on the work you do getting that good at that skill. It's, um, I think it's just paying attention to uh, the placement of where you're bunching the ball at during BP, it's kind of hard because the ball's coming in, you know, 40 miles an hour, but during different lives that we have in the cages when we're working on our swing, I'll mix in a few bunts uh, just to get a feel for how hard the ball's coming off, uh, get a feel for how my feet are, how my feet, how my footwork looks or feels that day and just trying to correct a few things. And I'm going through that process now. Tried to bunt the other day, bunted it straight on top of the plate, look back at video, so I wasn't really using my legs that well during that bunt. So I'm going in uh, into the cage to correct that. And next time I uh, have a bunt attempt, it comes out the way I want. You're one of the best, if maybe not the best, bunners in baseball. But you've also become one of the best outfielders in all of baseball. If you look at some of the metrics, you were way up there last year. Um, in what ways did you feel like in 2020 you became a better defender? Um, I think the information, I started to process it better in terms of facing guys, knowing the hitters, knowing tendencies, knowing our pitchers and uh, how they might pitch different guys. So I think my placement on the field has been better. Um, I also think the work that I put in uh, during batting practice has definitely helped. It's helped me get better reads off the ball, better reaction time, better angles. Uh, so all that stuff combined has uh, definitely improved my defense. Cedric Mullins, Orioles outfielder, here with us on Inside the Yard with Brett Hollander and Jeff Arnold. Going back to bunting, and obviously everyone knows kind of the direction of baseball right now, hard throwers, long ball hitters. And then to me, when you find someone who's kind of playing an old school version of the game, it's almost like the opposing teams don't even know how to handle anymore, which is one, really fun to watch. And you're utilizing tools that not everyone's doing nowadays. And, and I always find that kind of brand of baseball – to be exciting, not only stealing bags as you can do, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to win games in, at this level. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I know with the shift, me being left-handed hitter, the shift has uh, definitely been a huge part of the game on defense. And for my style of play, the easiest way to combat that, to make guys or force guys to consider, at least consider playing straight up or play further in uh, would be bunting. And, you know, being that, it's an older style of play, but it's something that I've you know, been working on my entire life, just through the, the coaches that I've had throughout my baseball career. No, it's, uh, it's fun to be out to be out there to be able to do those things, be able to steal bags, be able to bunt, to get on base, get a rally started. Those things play a huge part in uh, securing some wins. Do you enjoy the fact that you're one of the few people out there that still likes to steal bases because it feels like it's going away in the, in the game nowadays? Oh, yeah, and I, I, I uh, find that more and more guys are wanting to steal bags, so I get asked a lot of questions on my thought process when I'm out there, um, you know, and I'm willing to share that information. It's just a matter of being able to get those reps in. 
Cedric, take us through a day at spring training before games begin and now in the kind of game cycle that you're in for a major league player. Uh, you know, obviously you guys get up early. Games are typically at one. Sometimes they can be a night game at six. But take us through the day-to-day for a major league player in a spring camp. Uh, so I'm typically up around 6.30. Um, get dressed real quick, head to the field. Right now we have intake times for our COVID testing. So uh, we are uh, staggered in terms of our uh, arrival time. But I'll say mine today was 7.15. I come in, get dressed, and I look at uh, what we have scheduled for the day. And then I look at, you know, how I'm able to prepare before and after um, let's say for a game. So today I, uh, we have stretch around nine 30. I might have time to squeeze in a workout prior to that. And then we go out, do our team defense, individual defense, and then in preparation for the game, we have guys, uh, hitting batting practice. And now, because for most fields, we can't hit BP at their stadium. We'll hit here and then we'll travel and, uh, prepare for the game as soon as we get there, like a show and go. Before we get to our fun five baseball questions, you have a fun story about how you got into baseball and it started with a set of plastic kids golf clubs. Can you walk us through that story? So, yeah. So I want to say, uh, how old was I? I was probably about two or three. And my aunt and uncle had bought a pair of plastic set golf clubs with the plastic balls Tiger Woods, I know, was huge and you know still is big time name to this day. And instead, and I took the took the set outside and instead of hitting them on the ground, which I don't think anyone even taught me what to do with this, because apparently I walked outside and I started tossing the ball up in the air and hitting it while I was in the air. And my dad happened to be watching me do that from the kitchen. And so he uh, called out to my mom. He was like, Hey, come, come look at this. And she's watching me. And he was like, I'll be back. And he apparently ran to Walmart and bought one of those Velcro baseball catch sets where you just have the pad and you throw the ball and it just hits and sticks. And then he told me to put it on. And of course I have no idea what's going on. So apparently he was just throwing it to me and I had the coordination to catch it at what I assumed to be a really young age. And then he, at that point took me to a park that was close by to start playing t-ball and that's how I was introduced to baseball and I've loved it ever since. It's a great story. Cedric Mullins, Orioles outfielder with us here on Inside the Yard. Now in Inside the Yard, Cedric, we do what's called our fun five baseball questions. Are you ready? All right, let's go. Favorite baseball movie? Hardball. What was your high school senior year batting average? Oh, 470. Somewhere in there. Most influential baseball person in your life? Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. Probably say Andrew Jones. Uh, favorite minor league city to play in or visit? Hmm. There's a few of them. I think one that I enjoyed while I was because we were there a few times was Binghamton I want to say that was the Mets double a if I'm not mistaken it was a it was low-key like really nice there you know 
in the hotel, you figure there's not much to do, but they have a bunch of sidebar or not bars, but places to eat during the day. But they had like the the bars on the side that would serve breakfast. Uh, so you can go in, you know, enjoy a nice breakfast, get ready for the day and come back and enjoy a dinner at the same time. I love it. That's the first big in New York we've gotten uh, so far. Name one talent you have outside of baseball. I can walk on my hands. Ah. <laughs> we, we won't make you demonstrate now, but at some point I do want to see that. All right. All right. I'll let you, I'll let you film it. Cause it's pretty interesting. That is really awesome. We got to get Orioles digital on that. Uh, Cedric Mullins, who's at, who's having a great spring. Uh, Cedric, we really appreciate it. That was outstanding. Thank you. Orioles outfielder Cedric Mullins here on inside the yard. And Jeff, that will do it for our program today. And uh, that completes our hot stove version of Inside the Yard. We'll reemerge here on a podcast form only in the coming weeks. But uh, that was a lot, a lot of fun. We learned a, a lot of things. I think the one thing we maybe learned the most, Brett, is that when we get to that last of the five fun baseball questions, Anything a lot possible. of folks have some issues figuring out one skill outside of baseball. The best one... Well, maybe it's Mullins who said he can walk on his hands. Chris Holt talked about how he could sing and play the guitar. Um, and then, of course, we, we had to have one person who their best skill was video games. So we had Ryan Mountcastle throw that one in there, too. And then I think we, we stumped Brandon Hyde and Keegan Aiken. So uh, but yeah, either either way, we had some, some really good answers to to those fun five baseball questions and some pretty surprising revelations as well, such as Ryan Mountcastle only had one home run at his home high school field. and. Now he's one of the top young power hitters in baseball. Yeah, you got to love it. Uh, Jeff, tell us when our next broadcast is. Next broadcast for us is going to be on Monday against the Pirates. Brian Roberts and I will be on the call. Uh, Brian last year almost got hit by a foul ball in the Ed Smith booth, so we've encouraged him to bring his glove for the occasion. So hopefully he'll, he'll take us up on that. Please, Brian. We, we really appreciate that to protect Jeff. And Kevin Reed, a big and yourself and yourself yourself, too. Yes, of course. Self-preservation is always a key. A big thank you to Kevin Reed for all of his hard work in Sarasota, Florida. Jeff, uh, continue to uh, get tan and enjoy your time down there. We'll be listening for your future broadcasts, and I'll make sure everything's ready to go for opening day here in Baltimore. I'll do my part. I don't know if I could get as tan as you. That's not (laughs) saying much. (laughs) Oh, we appreciate it. Uh, catch up on old episodes, Orioles.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of the program today. For Jeff Arnold, I'm Brett Hollander. Thanks for being with us here on Inside the Yard on 105.7 The Fan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.